welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio from Triant Press. I'm your host, ML Roostrap. Today's episode is brought to you by Hella Shirt Company, a Hella Dope clothing brand crafted in North Carolina, ah, North California. Today's guest today is Mark Bellow. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Now you write um, social just your social justice advocate but you write a little bit of crime dramas if i'm looking at everything you've written well i i it's kind of a long story but i i i do write social justice uh legal thrillers um mainly about issues that are uh topical in america today um well we have a lot of topical things in america (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I never lack. I never lack for material. That's for sure. Oh, I know you could write oodles of books just on last year alone. That, that's true. I, I, um, I haven't. Uh, I haven't actually started uh, working on anything that relates to last year specifically. But, but uh, for instance, over the last few years, I wrote a book um, called Betrayal High about a school shooting. Mm-hmm. loosely based on Parkland. I wrote a book called Betrayal in Black, which is about a uh, young black man being shot by a white police officer. Uh, my latest book, which is coming out in April, is called Supreme Betrayal, and it's about a Supreme Court justice who has a sexual assault in his past. So you can see that that the things I write are... <laughs> are inspired by real life events. Oh, very much so. How much of the real life events you pull does your uh, advocacy and your being an attorney play in your books? Well, the, the uh, I mentioned it was a long story. The, mm-hmm. the, the short version of it is that I didn't start being an author until very late in my legal career. So. Uh, I handled a case in the 1980s um, involving two young teenagers who were molested by a Catholic priest. And we handled the case and the church behaved very poorly and uh, lied, covered up um, things uh, like uh, prior incidents and prior victims. Mm -hmm. And we worked very hard to uncover all of this stuff. Uh, We're successful in doing so and successfully resolved the case. It felt like there was some organization within the church that was, that had a job to cover these things up. So I created, I decided to write a book about it. I always told myself, I was going to fulfill a bucket list item and write a book. And I wrote a book Mm -hmm. called Betrayal of Faith that is that invented uh, an organization called the Coalition. And the Coalition's job was like a CIA kind of organization within the church that uh, covered these things up uh, by any means possible. And uh, over period of a few years, I wrote Betrayal of Faith, um, 
could not get it published and, and released it independently. And I thought I was done. I thought that was the only book I was going to write. I fulfilled my bucket list item and I was done. Then the 2016 election came along and I, I got very upset at the possibility that uh, a certain person might become president of the United States uh, on a platform of banning all Muslims from the country and and uh, Muslim travel and and following uh, Hispanic people, um, drug dealers and pushers and stuff like that. Um, so I wrote a second book called Betrayal of Justice about a bigoted president. Uh, a lot of people have jumped on me over that book and said, I did a hit job on Donald Trump. And my response, my famous response is that I finished a book before he became president. So he imitated my guy, I didn't imitate him. <laughs> Sometimes life mimics art, right? That's what happened there. I mean, I, you know, obviously his candidacy. It sparked, was, some, uh, it sparked something in the creative process, but it wasn't based on his presidency because he wasn't president yet. And, and worse than that, he had a choice to not be the candidate he was as president. He could have been a president for all the people and done a, a, a much more, been a much more inclusive president and done a much better job, and he chose his way, uh, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. So now we have Supreme Betrayal coming out in April. What is that one about? Supreme Betrayal um, is based on the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, and I wanna, before everybody uh, accuses me as they did with Betrayal of Justice, in doing a hit job on Brett Kavanaugh, I will state categorically that Betrayal High is not based on Brett Kavanaugh. It is inspired by the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Um, the predator in my case, mm -hmm. unlike Kavanaugh, has been declared guilty. He has committed the acts in his youth uh, a young lady, uh, 20 years after the sexual assault perpetrated by the candidate happened, um, finds out he's the presidential nominee for the open seat on the Supreme Court and decides that this is a bridge too far for her. She's allowed his career to continue for 20 years from uh, going to law school, becoming a lawyer, becoming a judge, being appointed to the Court of Appeals, being appointed to the federal bench, and finding out that he's going to be the candidate for the Supreme Court is the final straw. So she hires Zachary Blake, uh, my uh, lawyer protagonist in all of my books, to essentially uh, prevent that from happening. And it, it again, it was inspired by the right. Kavanaugh it, situation, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's its own story. Right, what readers have to understand, we as authors take, 
an instance in time. It could be something that we see on the news, something we see playing out in front of us, and we spin it in our own way to make a fictional book. It doesn't mean we're taking the actual case or the actual person. We're being inspired by something that okay. we're seeing or hearing. And, and I'm not apologizing. I'm just explaining it. The, mm -hmm. the, issue, the issue, I don't really care, frankly, whether... Um, all publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I just, all I'm saying is, uh, however people feel about me or feel about the things I write about, um, uh, they're, they're fictional accounts. Mm -hmm. There's, you can take a science fantasy, if I can talk today, a science fantasy and find a parallel to something in reality. It doesn't mean that it happened or it will happen or could happen. It's just how we spin the story. We take- well, and, I, and, and I, also be, I also believe these are very important issues. Uh, yes. we're, dealing, we're dealing with books that cover um, uh, clergy have, abuse yes. in book one, uh, presidential misconduct in book two, white supremacy in book three, Cop on Black Shootings in book four. Um, the Holocaust, uh, I'm looking right now at the- High, high school shootings in book five. Uh, sexual assault in the Supreme Court in book six. And my novella is uh, tells the story of an escape from Auschwitz during World War II. So, so there, everything there has a social message that work. has to be Authors write books like this to get us talking about the social issue. It's not That's to take the social issue and spin it into whatever. It's to get us talking about the social issue. And, and that's the important aspect of this. We have to have an open dialogue. If we sit down, you put red against blue on an aisle on a social issue, all you're going to get a bunch of arguing. Now you do it on a platform was fictional, you're still getting the message across and you can have an open dialect. No question. Uh, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that troubles me about America today. Um, if, if a friend of yours tells you that they support this or that, mm -hmm. uh, and you support that or this, the complete opposite of this or that, suddenly you can't be friends anymore. Suddenly you can't talk anymore.
social injustices and make us talk about it in a real open dialogue without actually And they will see uh, the social injustice, the David versus Goliath battle mm -hmm. that the lawyers on the front lines face almost every day. I mean, I don't get a lot of political stuff because that's me. I don't talk political outside my family. But when you have a social injustice and you can talk about it in art, then you can get down to the root cause in reality. Well, my, my books are primar primarily legal mm -hmm. novels. They educate people on the legal system uh, in an entertaining way. Um, uh, but given the fact that they're what I call ripped from the headlines kind of novels, mm -hmm. they, they have a political swing. I, I can't, I'm not going to run from that. Right. Um, each book uh, has some uh, political as well as legal message. Mm -hmm. uh, and I err on the side of justice for the little guy rather than uh, injustice perpetrated by uh, the government, mm -hmm. by um, criminals, by white collar criminals. Um, by large corporations, et cetera. So certainly they're, they're David, and, David versus Goliath tales. Um, uh, and admittedly um, somewhat slanted that way, but they do take and explain all sides of an issue and uh, should provoke a conversation. They very much should. I mean, we have Matlock back in the 80s and early 90s. <laughs> so that was my uh, legal experience with art. But it took some of the shows, if you can go back and watch them, have some of that social play going into them. Not a lot, but it was always the underdog winning against the bigger person. Um, yes. Yes, I would say that's true. I have a little bit of legal knowledge. <laughs> What's that? I have a little bit of legal knowledge, even as if it's just from art. <laughs> so we have Supreme Betrayal coming out. Are you currently writing another novel? I am. I'm writing a, a, a novel um, about the immigration issues uh, from the point of view of the problems at the southern border mm -hmm. and, a, and a couple that uh, immigrated legally from Venezuela and children in America who are citizens but overstayed their visa. And um, uh, that's one part of the story. The other part of the story is a 
young woman who decides to take her infant daughter to Syria to meet her grandmother for the first time, even though Syria is engaged in a, in a semi-civil war at the Turkish border uh, near Klobani. And she gets caught up in, in a, uh, an ISIS uh, hostage situation. So the book goes back and forth between those two um, classes of immigrants. And um, uh, you'll have to read it to find out how they're resolved. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to read it, but you have to finish writing it first. <laughs> but that, that book is, uh, is almost done. I, 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 had, uh, I had a little incident uh, over the last week or two where I had, I had to have emergency surgery. Oh, no. so I'm, not, I'm not completely myself right now, but I'm doing my best. Um, and uh, that laid me up at home for a while. So I was able to work on my book uh, almost exclusively. So uh, the good news is that it, it, it allowed me to substantially finish my seventh novel. <laughs> Well, sometimes the emergency medical emergencies push us to do something that we've been wanting to do. In your what's case, that, writing the seventh what's, what's novel. The, what's the expression about taking something and turning it into sugar or whatever? whatever. Uh, take the lemons and turn it into lemonade. Yeah, that. that, that. <laughs> I, I, I was a little more. Word. Uh, uh, potty mouthed. Well, I, I was raised with. I like I like yours better. <laughs> I have a southern upbringing, so <laughs> I get some of those uh, everywhere. So we have that one coming out. Let's talk a little bit about your, the one with the Holocaust. I know it's just a novella, right? But everything's based on true events. I mean, the, your truthful is. Outspits. There's truthful that a Holocaust existed, and there's truthful of World War II. The rest of it, we will say, is fiction. <laughs> but where did you get all of your inspiration of that one? Well, a couple of things. Um, number one, I'm the I'm not a direct descendant of Holocaust victims, um, but I am. Uh, a descendant of people who fled Russia during the pogroms on my father's side and Poland pre-World uh, War II on my mother's side. And a lot of my mother's, um, my grandmother's generation on my mother's side and my mother's cousins uh, were uh, prisoners during the Holocaust. Many of them perished and uh, some of them escaped. And I don't mean escaped uh, prison camps, but escaped with their lives right. when, the, when the war was over. Um, so I've had a kind of this back of the mind, I'd love to tell a, uh, a compelling Holocaust story someday. Um, and, and I was reading uh, an account, uh, a true story of uh, a gentleman uh, whose name escaped me for the purpose of this interview, but, mm -hmm. but um, he was a Polish gentleman 
who got put in a um, work camp. And uh, there's a uh, book out, an older book about uh, his rather famous escape from a prison camp. Um, and that I use that as an, as an inspiration to uh, tell a story about Zachary Blake uh, prior to his legal career, prior to going to law school on his 13th birthday at the time of his bar mitzvah and his maternal grandfather, Max Lewin, um, had always promised him that when he became a man, he would tell him the story of his escape from Auschwitz. And uh, on the eve of his bar mitzvah, his Zeta, as uh, many Jewish people call their grandfathers, um, fulfilled his promise and told Zach the story. And the book, or the novella rather, retells uh, the story of this incredible uh, survival and escape from the death camp. I thank you for um, writing it's, that. It's a pretty neat little little <laughs> fifty page story. I mean, it's a short story, but my generation, my daughter's generation, doesn't hear enough about the atrocities of World War II, and when you bring it back to our time, and we have it in a fictional setting, but still based in reality, you still get some of the feel for what happened back then well worse than that mm -hmm. is there is a segment of our society uh that are holocaust deniers that claim it didn't happen mm -hmm. uh, some of them were part of the insurrection at the capitol on january 6th um and uh, just like we hear all the time at Holocaust museums across the, the country and around the world, and from Holocaust survivors, if you stop talking about it, um, it will be forgotten. So it's not only uh, it will be forgotten, it would be repeated. And that too. But the, the, the point of, the point I'm making is the book is my little, very little. <laughs> very little um, contribution to uh, the retelling of uh, these stories. You know, it's interesting. If you think about the Jewish religion in general, mm -hmm. uh, almost every holiday that uh, Jewish people celebrate is the retelling of some atrocity that happened. Uh, committed to the Jewish people. So uh, anywhere from Passover to um, Hanukkah to um, pick a holiday. <laughs> I'm not that Jewish, was, so I don't know the holidays. But what, what my what my what my um, family members uh, are fond of saying is uh, every Jewish holiday is is in short quote they tried to kill us, mm -hmm. they failed. Let's eat. <laughs> Yeah, that's basically it. That is, that is essentially every Jewish holiday. 
<laughs> I have a lot of Jewish friends, and that's basically what they say is, oh, it's a holiday. Yeah. We are celebrating the someone trying to kill us, but we're going to eat because we're here. <laughs> they, tried to, they tried, or the other way to say that is they tried to kill us, we beat them. Let's mm -hmm. eat. Either way. It, it depends on if they're passive or passive aggressive. So, yep, yep, yep. but I do thank you for that one because we do need to retell these stories to the next generation. That's another reason with all your books, we need to keep retelling the story to keep it in our brains so we talk about it. So we don't repeat some of these social things that's been going on since 2000 whatever or beyond that even. Two very interesting things about Lador Vodor from generation to generation, the Holocaust story. Uh, one is when you read it, realize that for the most part, even though the characters are fictional, the story is true. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it's almost told um, as uh, the true story goes. I just changed the characters, uh, uh, the, especially the main character from Christian to Jewish, uh, and a, a little bit of the circumstances have been manipulated uh, and embellished for fictional purposes. Uh, the second thing is that the um, novella is absolutely free. If you go to my website at markambello.com, that's M-A-R-K-M-B-E-L-L-O.com and subscribe, you can get the, uh, you can download the novel, the novella rather for free. So uh, those are two important issues. Yeah, as you said, it's a 50 page read. It's a short 30 minute read maybe for the average person. So it's not going to tie up a lot of time, but it's going to get you to think. If we can get some people to think right now, that, that would be great. Well, and I want people to read it. So I, so I make it available for free. Yeah. Well, that can be an opening to, well, it is an opening because your main character, your lawyer, that's when he's 13. So he's in the first, no, in that novella and goes all through the rest of them. Well, that is my sneaky hope. But, <laughs> but uh, well, you, I just gave choose, away this. If you choose to just download a novella, that's that's your right. Mm -hmm. So, other than your website, we can find you on Amazon. Yes, uh, and you, you can are. Find me, you can find me at almost all um, online booksellers: uh, Apple, um, Kobo, uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, my books are available on, on all of those platforms. That is wonderful. And do you have social media accounts that the readers and listeners can find you on? I do. I have a Goodreads uh, profile. I have an Amazon profile, as you know. Um, I have a Facebook page, um, Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an old man, so uh, so some of this stuff is is a little. Uh, foreign to me technologically, technological wise, like yeah. uh, I'm still playing and learning with, uh, with how to use Instagram. Uh, I, I just learned in Instagram have, last year, so you're not that far behind. <laughs> I have a LinkedIn profile, um, so I, I, I'm, I'm you can find me at, I mean, on all of these on all of these platforms. 
I'm pretty sure if they Google your name, they will find you in one platform or another. Yes. Yes. Most authors, you can find about 10 pages of where the author's been just by Googling their name. By the way, I'm also, I also frequently blog. So I, I, I'm a, I'm a uh, featured uh, writer for the uh, Legal Examiner magazine, a uh, newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me there. And I blog on my own website uh, about social issue and safety um, um, issues um, at markambello.com. So there's, there's a lot of content out there that, that I've written that you can find. I've also done some articles uh, for publications like um, um, Legal Examiner and uh, the, uh, the Hill. Mm -hmm. Um, political stuff. Well, we can find you just about anywhere from the political side and the fictional side. Well, anywhere on Google. And, and most of my politics is fictional. I, I just I just happen to choose what I consider to be important social justice issues to write about. Um, we do need the social injustices brought back to light. We. We need to talk about it, but we don't need to burn the city down to get uh, acknowledgement on the social injustice. There has to be a fine line where we're not destroying things, but we're talking about it. Well, it's interesting. Uh, innocently, um, I posted a question when I wrote Betrayal in Black, my fourth novel. Mm -hmm. uh, I posted a question on my Facebook page um, something to the effect of how many innocent lives, black lives, uh, must be taken before those who swear to protect and serve stop the madness. And I got attacked like you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. uh, black people commit all the crimes. 12% of the population uh, are black, but 35% of all violent crime is black. 75% of black families are single parent. If you keep voting for Democrats who use racism as a political tool, it will never end. How many whites have to die? Everybody's concerned about the blacks. Have you forgotten that George Floyd tried to pass a $20 bill? He had to be stopped. Uh, and I'm, it just blows my mind that that was the reaction I got. Mm -hmm. My question is, when did we start holding police officers to a lower standard than criminals? True. When did, when did we start blaming victims for the criminal and brutal acts of perpetrators? Um, this is true. When did police officers obtain the right to stop, charge, conduct a trial, and then execute to death or sentenced to death and execute the victim or the subject, uh, the su suspect, excuse me. Um, so I, I was very troubled by that response. The fact that George Floyd, and, and my book is not about George Floyd, by the way, but. It's a uh, name that we're all familiar with. Uh, but, you know, George, even if it's true that George Floyd tried to pass a $20 bill, which we still, to this day, don't know whether he did or not. 
the sentence for passing a $20 bill is death? Somebody kneeling on your neck for nine minutes and killing you? Uh, that's okay with uh, the number of people that responded to that little uh, uh, Facebook post. I, I'm just, I, I, it kind of blows my mind. White fragility is a, is a real phenomenon. See, I come from a family that has police, uh, first responders and military all in, within the family. So me hearing that hey, it's okay for a police officer to take a life in this case just didn't sit well. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, there's more going on. Let's take two minutes. Let's actually look at all the facts, not just two minutes of facts. And then let's actually get an uh, investigation going. That, that was my whole thing during the um, thing we can't burn the city down we can't take siege of the city we can't cause destruction of per personal and business property we cannot take other lives because that was what was going on there but just this um protest this one instance so we need to have time to actually investigate both the victim in this case and the officer that was in the case. We need time to do that. We can't, ne neither side can be jury and executioner in the same day. No question. And, and by the way, I, I, I don't equate peaceful protest with, with looting and I don't understand uh, the connection. There are, there are those who, who will say um, they can understand uh, where that comes from, I, I don't happen to be one of them. My attitude is um, a, a crime is a crime. You don't fix one problem by, by uh, or, or stop one level of criminality by committing criminality yourself. Correct. Um, so I, I, I agree uh, that uh, looting is not appropriate anywhere, anytime. Uh, there is some question as to who was doing looting and, and whether or not uh, looting was being done to make a certain segment of society look bad. Uh, and I, I don't know one way or the other. Yeah, but I do know. But I do know that when uh, young black male after young black male gets killed for little reason by a cop, who by the way, and, and, and the interesting thing about my book and all of my books is it takes multiple points of view and, and, and talks about uh, these issues from all perspectives. Um, uh, cops have a very difficult job. They do. Um, uh, encountering somebody with a weapon uh, and having your own life at stake while you're doing it uh, is not something any of us uh, other than a select few would choose to do. So I don't in any way, shape or form minimize the job those guys do and that 90 something percent of them are good people. Mm -hmm. Having said that, there needs to be uh, a, an examination not a defunding. I don't like that word or that mm -mm. 
uh, or that um, uh, approach to the problem, but there certainly needs to be a reevaluation of uh, policing and policing practices and policies. And uh, Betrayal in Black uh, offers those kinds of solutions uh, from both sides of the community, from the Black Lives Matter community, as well as from the policing community. And they come together in the book and have a meaningful discussion about it. And it's a very powerful uh, part of the novel. By the way, I, I hate to keep making little, little side uh, marketing pitches, but it's Black History Month and the and Betrayal in Black has been reduced in price to celebrate Black History Month, and you and people can buy the ebook for only ninety nine cents on uh, on Amazon today. Well, we thank you for that. We do thank you for being on the show today. It was a very interesting conversation. My pleasure. And again, we can find you on Google and your website and Amazon. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Mark. My pleasure, Melissa. Thanks for having me. And to our readers and our listeners, happy reading.